Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast, episode 13. Now, this is the most likely episode for everything to go wrong in because as some weird people believe it, 13 is an unlucky number. So, put all your good luck into this and let's hope it fucking goes well. Because we need good luck now with all this corona shit going on. And speaking of which, this is the third episode of my, I suppose if you want to call it corona week. Because I, well, I normally try limit it to maybe one maximum two episodes a week but this is my third episode this week now because uh, i've all the free time in the world to do this shit so although i'll probably be doing less next week but we'll see uh obviously you know the first episode was just normal but the second episode was a death wish special so if you haven't heard that or you haven't seen the movies you'd, you'd need to see them first because i mean it's complete spoilers it's the first spotlight episode i did so it's total spoilers for all the death wish films um but if you have seen them give it a listen because you might enjoy it but on that, I mentioned how I had some news for well, that I was gonna half thinking of saying in that episode, but I decided to save it for this episode because it's more focused on whatever these episodes. Uh, and that is fairly fucking huge news for well, cinema history, really, because of all the corona madness that's going on worldwide. Obviously, cinemas are shutting down left and right. Well, I was I mentioned a few episodes ago that. Some cinemas were still open here. They were just doing this spaced seating plan. And I, I think that was fucking ridiculous. It was never going to work. But eventually they just said, look, we're all going to close too. So all those big cinemas, see, the Lighthouse, Odeon, Cineworld, the IFI, uh, the Stella Cinema, all these cinemas are now shut. And they're going to be shut for, well, they're saying until 29th of March. But I think it could be longer than that because fuck knows how long this shit's going to go on for. But they're all closed now. So obviously no fucking movies and i thought well that's shit like the week that it, it actually should i was saying to myself i'd love to just go for a nice double bill now of the hunt and the invisible Wo- or sorry the invisible man and then i was planning that night to then see the elephant man in the cinema because the david lynch season was on the lighthouse which of course now i'm hoping is just postponed now i i i don't know if it is what way it works with rights or anything like that. i mean surely they still have the rights if they haven't shown the film yet despite getting the rights i just hope the season has been postponed because it should be going on now and into april or early april i think so I, I just hope that hasn't been affected in any way because i fucking really want to see those movies on the big screen and they actually funnily enough the, the lighthouse have put up a, a poll well not a poll but a just a suggestion to think about tv shows you'd love to see shown in the cinema now i obviously mentioned the first season of true detective because it's fucking perfect but i also said if they showed episode eight of twin peaks It'd be perfect of the return. I mean, like they could do that nearly between movies, <laughs> of, between David Lynch movies in there. I think that'd be fucking class. Because just I, weirdly enough, I mean, oh, here's a this is just another angry tale about me not getting a fucking Blu-ray I wanted. But when Twin Peaks: The Return got its Blu-ray release, they had two editions of it come out. Actually, there's probably three now that I think about it. The first one was this amazing limited edition where. Because there's a whole lot of stuff with the Agent Cooper character and doppelgangers and all this mad shit. The box actually has a split face on it of him and one of the other characters and it opens up into a third character. And there's all these really interesting ideas with it. Folds out really nice, savage artwork, all this great shit. And I thought, I really want to get that. And it sold out immediately. I was like, fuck. So that was going for mad money on eBay. They did have a regular special or regular edition of it. Where it was like a Velcro packet and I didn't like that. And then now they have a slipcase one which is just the most basic. It's like a fat Blu-ray box. I don't like them at all really. That's what my Deadwood box set looks like. And I found out 
not long after that there was a proper one that actually opened out really nice they're just the kind of the second print versions of it which i don't like but this box set anyway i remember it was actually zavi they fucking put it up on their site for 20 quid and then it ended up oh no it was actually a sale it was in november 2018 i remember that specifically uh because I ordered it then, it was at the end of November, like, oh, 20 quid for this box set, limited edition, back in stock. I thought, I have to get this. So I pre-ordered it, I thought, great, I'm going to fucking have that for Christmas. Sometime near the end of January, I'm like, where the fuck is this? I sent them several emails, they were like, oh, we'll get back to you, it's still in stock, we're just waiting on it. Then I get an email saying, oh, yeah, it actually isn't in stock, so sorry about that. Where the fuck did it go? Was it there at all, or did they just fucking make a mistake on the website? I don't know. But... It was just garbage fucking service just to not tell me for that long and then say, oh, we actually don't have it at all, even though I pre-fucking booked the thing. But anyway, um, the reason I mention that is they've since come out with another box set, which I think exists over here now as well. I know for sure that it was in the States. And it's called Twin Peaks from Z to A or Z to A, whatever pronunciation you prefer of Z or Z. And it's a big square box set. It comes with the entire series of Twin Peaks. It comes with the movie. It comes with the missing pieces. And it comes with season three or the return. Well, what's strange about it is. And I just think it's kind of irritating. The whole box set is there. Every episode, every season. But as a bonus, they have episode eight. And I think. Was it episode 14 or something? There's two episodes from the series that are 4K. And I'm thinking, why don't you just put the whole fucking series on 4K and let 4K collectors buy the entire series instead of just going, oh, you can have two episodes. They look the nicest. You can have those two 4Ks. No, the whole thing should be 4K or not at all. Just to give two episodes in a format that some people can't even play is just fucking stupid. But, I mean, it goes to show that because episode 8 is such a highly regarded episode... And the fact they even asked that, I mean, maybe there is a chance to start showing some TV series or even just partial stuff in there. Imagine, like, they even had Simpson marathons and all. I think that would be a fucking seriously good piss-up night if you just got top-quality golden era Simpsons and just had, I don't know, six episodes or something like that. Well, how long would that add up to? They're all about 22 minutes each, so you could actually get a fucking decent two-hour screen or even do nine episodes with a break in the middle if they have to and just have an absolute piss off I think that would be gold but then again I don't know people might get sick of it after a few episodes or it could be an episode they don't like and they'd be in and out of the screen it could be a bit messy but as I said that episode of Twin Beaks is so highly regarded that I think that to show that in the cinema especially now that it's available in 4K even though it's the only fucking episode it would be unreal but again who knows when the fuck that'll happen because cinemas are all over the shop right now Cineworld have actually... I cancelled my card there. Uh, even though they fucking... They said... Oh yeah... If we close the cinema... For whatever amount of time we've closed it... We'll give you back on your card. But we're still going to charge you now. I thought that's just... A pain in the hole. So... I mean... At this stage as well... I mean... I've talked about this... Very briefly... But I talk about it with friends a lot. Just the cinema experience... And how it's not... What it used to be. Maybe that was like... One of the first things I said on this podcast... Because I, I feel like I've... Maybe I've just... I say it so much... I feel like I've said it already... But... The experience I get is mostly just irritating. The only screenings I enjoy going to are festivals or press showings or if it's on early in the day so there's no teenagers and shit coming in and acting the bollocks. But it seems to happen a lot anyway and it, it the general cinema experience is not the same as it used to be. I'll tell you what, even though I'm not a fan of Odeon Cinema, 
or just general huge I mean the Cineworld I only like because they do show the odd foreign film they do show more obscure stuff if, if Odeon actually started showing more stuff like that I'd happily continue to go there because they're local but one thing that they do have above the other cinemas is I suppose a nostalgic thing because I've been going there since I was younger that reminds me of when going to the cinema was a big deal if you and a group of friends back when you were fucking 15 were like oh we'll go to the cinema this weekend we haven't done that in ages now it's kind of just like oh there's so many films coming out we have all these unlimited cards you're kind of in and out of them and I suppose it's not something to really complain about it's like complaining about Netflix which I'll get onto in a sec but I mean the idea of going oh we have a whole catalogue of shit here it's the best thing you could ever imagine when you were younger like I wish I had a button I could click where I had hundreds of films and TV shows immediately in front of me that's what Netflix is but it, it does kind of take away the magic of maybe going to the cinema or getting blu-rays or whatever else but the cinema experience has changed and it's especially changed now because of this fucking coronavirus so as I said cinemas are closing but big changes are coming to the actual release of movies so I mentioned I think I mentioned a few films that have been postponed so you have the likes of the new Bond movie was moved to November you have some movies like the new mutants and stuff like that which has already been postponed for like a year and a half or two years it's postponed again with no future release date same with the new saw movie spiral which actually looks pretty fucking good has also been postponed and fast and furious has probably got the biggest one that's been postponed till next summer and i imagine that's because they know that's a summer blockbuster movie they want to get all the money from the summer crowds so they're not going to just release it sometime in fucking october and hope that it does well they're they're saving that for next summer so i understand why they did that but it is annoying if you wanted to see it which incidentally i don't but what's interesting is last week actually on friday just gone this is what i was going to mention on the the death wish podcast but i said i'd save it for now because i actually wanted to see some of these movies but i mentioned how i missed the hunt and i missed the invisible man what universal have done is that they struck a deal with all the streaming services bar the likes of netflix and um well the free side of amazon prime they have decided to release their movies online legally through streaming services like the likes of apple and things like that and i used amazon prime video but what it's not the same as the one that you get that you subscribe to for 9.99 a month or 7.99 a month because obviously that has a plethora of savage new movies and whatever on it but this is their general streaming service i've used this for a few things what they've done is for 19 euro or funny enough i think it's i think it's like 19 dollars as well like it's it's weird the pricing system and I think 15, 16 pounds, you can watch The Hunt and Invisible Man. This is separate pricing now, by the way. So you're effectively paying for a full price cinema ticket in 3D, but it's in your house. They decided to release. Oh, hang on, I have a list of the movies here just so I don't forget, because this is fairly mad. So The Hunt, The Invisible Man, the new Trolls movie is coming out soon. Uh, that movie, Emma, with the Fanning. What's her name? Ellie Fanning. Uh. Vin Diesel's new movie Bloodshot, which just got a cinema release, which unfortunately is 12s and kind of looks like shit, but I might give it a look. Uh, that comes out Tuesday. You have Vivarian, which was a big smash at the the James, oh, not the Jameson Film Festival. I always say Jameson. What do they call it now? Virgin Media Film Festival. That was a big smash there. It's actually partly Irish made, I think, with Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. And the new Pixar movie Onward which I think, this is a weird way they've done it as well, I think they've released that to stream as well at the full 20 quid, but it's going to be appearing on Disney Plus, which is just launched here there during the week too. It's going to be on Disney Plus in April, so you're better off just fucking waiting till then and not throwing 20 quid away on it. 
Uh, but I do want to see that. And The Way Back, I think it's called. I can't remember the name of it. It's this new Ben Affleck one, I probably should have looked that up. But I know that he has this new drama that Gavin O'Connor made. The guy made Warrior, which is fucking fantastic. His new drama is now coming out next week on demand. So VOD is really after taking off. Because these are some big sought after movies. They're blockbuster movies. Some of them are hugely popular already. This isn't just some straight to DVD shite. This is big movies that are now coming straight to VOD. And the biggest of the bunch. Which hasn't been fully confirmed. But it sounds like it fucking will be. Is that Warner Brothers are planning on releasing the new Wonder Woman 1984 movie. On VOD. Which is fucking serious. Now I'm, I reckon that they're going to potentially do a cinema release again or as well as depending on because i think it's not out till may or something but the fact that they're actually releasing a movie of that size to straight to vod shows that this is going to be dangerous times for cinemas now even though i talk about how the magic of cinema isn't the way it was i still love cinemas i still want them there there's still certain movies that i have to see on the big screen because they're just such spectacles the likes of the stuff I got to see in 35mm last year. Things of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Getting to see the likes of 1917 in the cinema. And what's what's even coming up? Tenet. I'm fucking dying to see. Getting to see things like that in the cinema are very important. They just won't. While they'll still be good at home. It won't be the same at home. And I'm kind of hoping that there's still going to be the, the same market for the big movies there. I think they're, the ones that are postponed are smart. Because it means that while their material isn't getting put out there online easier to access but then again also easier to pirate they're still going to hopefully get to sell these things in the cinema and I don't know it's just a strange time because sure sometimes films were available to get on the likes of Amazon Prime if you use a VPN you can fucking access anywhere so say there was something that was released in America in the cinema in 2019 in June and then it's on VOD and Blu-ray by November. It might not even get released in the cinema over here until February. Yet, if you have the VPN, you can just fucking access it and watch it. So while it feels like something maybe special here that you can do, this is worldwide now. This isn't just you are watching something that has already had its time in the cinema. A big movie. And you're just getting to see it a bit early. This is big movies releasing directly to the internet because i mean i wonder now something huge like that say for instance okay because i don't know whether wonder woman has been up for oscars but you know their whole bullshit thing about it, it needs to be in the cinema to be considered say something like wonder woman does just go straight online now and that's that all right there's no cinemas for fucking six months and wonder woman comes out in two months time and that's that it doesn't go to cinemas can that still be eligible for the oscars then or are they still going to have their bullshit reasons for not doing it like because it's just it's mad i think the only thing that's really keeping a lot of these studios in the cinema is potential oscars and because oscars are not allowing certain movies to be considered unless they're shown in the cinema they kind of have a hold over it and that's what's keeping them going so i mean i can understand why that would be beneficial to keeping movies in the cinema but i just i, I think it's unfair i really don't know what's gonna fucking happen now if all movies are just going to start coming on demand if these shops are going to die out. Because people are worried about physical media in general now. Now, thankfully, Amazon is still going and people are still able to buy shit and get physical media. And all the independent labels are still pushing shit out, hopefully on time. Like For instance, 88 Films just uh, announced they're doing Armour of God 2, Operation Condor. The fucking 
tremendous fucking Jackie Chan movie from I think was it ninety was it early nineties? I think it was early nineties. That like movies like that are still getting pushed and they're hoping that they're gonna have them out by July and so am I. But I think when it comes to actual cinema releases, I don't know if they're gonna still keep going. I don't know if they're gonna be as in demand. Unless they are, as I said, the big movies. I think independent cinema, the likes of The Hunt, the likes of now even though like The Hunt and, and Invisible Man were two fairly fucking big movies, they were a huge push behind them, serious publicity, all that. They're still they're they're indie directors, they're they're going for unconventional shit. Cause they're pretty much low budget, really high standard movies. They're not the big fucking investment let's put 150 million into this superhero mad special effects heavy movie and pray for the best these are small movies and i think all those small movies are gonna just go straight to demand at this stage i think cinemas is gonna be reserved for spectacle and big movies and superhero movies and things like that because when you look at black panther or not black panther black widow that's probably gonna be postponed i think that's it's not june is it sometime around the midsummer anyway it's due to come out that's going to be postponed, I'd say. Because no cinemas are going to be fucking open. It might still show in America, but over here at least it won't. And probably the UK as well. So it's really up in arms. I, like, I never thought I'd see something like this happen with cinema. And the funny thing is, this is kind of something I've prayed for for a long time. Not in the sense that I want cinema to die out. I was just hoping that there'd be no new releases for a fucking year. So I could just catch up on all the shit that I've been fucking trying to see my whole life. Because I see, I see roughly a movie a night, sometimes two, if I if I'm lucky. That's what I plan to do, and that could be new and old, and some recent, some really old, any kind of movie, any genre. I just want to see it if I I'm interested in it. But every fucking week, especially with the likes of Netflix and all, there is fucking new series, new movies, everything coming out. Movies I haven't heard of, movies that I've wanted to see for years are now getting a Blu-ray release, so they're now available. All the shit in the cinema. It's like it's overwhelming the amount of shit I want to see. And I've always thought it'd be great if they just said for one year. We're just going to not make movies for one year. Or any movies we do make they're not coming out until next year. So you'd have a year of just the cinema repeating highly sought after classic movies. And like the best of the decade kind of stuff. So for instance some of the shit that I showed there. They'd be like oh we're going to show Blade Runner 2049 again for a week. And everyone can have a chance to go see that. And you just have... Savage movies in the cinema for a whole year. Unfortunately, what's happened is no movies are shown at all, and movies are actually not even being made in some places. And it's a big, it's a big fucking attack. Not attack, but it's a, it's a damage. Damage is being done to the industry because of this. And I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I'm just thinking. I'm just more concerned about where cinema is going to go. I do hope that stuff is available on demand because that was extremely handy but i mean i don't know what i'm gonna say is spectacle movies big huge box office extravaganza movies are more than happy to see reserved for the big screens even if the likes of the ifi want to do what they did with the likes of uncut gems where they might have some screenings in the weeks leading up to the netflix release stuff like that i'd be fine with that as well i think independent cinema is destined to live online and spectacle cinema is destined to be on the big screen once they're all successful and once they still make movies and once both are still in business both online and in the cinema i'm happy but what's happened now with the likes of all these movies that have come out over the weekend on demand and what's happening with wonder woman 1984 potentially happening 
this is going to seriously change cinema for the future. It really is. This is almost like anyone who's a purist of online and streaming and things like that is going to... Like, this is their dream. This is their dream for cinemas to die out and online to take prevalence with film releases. And this is what's fucking happening. But here's an interesting thing. Because of this virus and because of people being gaff-bound and not being able to fucking go out and... I mean, taking great opportunity to catch up on all the shit that's on Prime and Netflix and everywhere else and all these offers coming out. Like I said, I put a post on my Instagram there about Shudder, the horror movie streaming service, which is essentially Netflix for just horror. Although, they do have some thrillers and some dramas on there that aren't horror movies, but they kind of, I suppose they're tense. I think think tension is their thing. So horror and tension. So you will see some thrillers that don't follow the horror conventions, but do... I suppose deserve their mention there like it's one I think I might have talked about it on this show a really good drama it's basically just a slow burning crime drama called A Bluebird in My Heart and I was like why the fuck is this on there I was expecting it to be like really tense thriller but it's actually just a really serious character study drama very good but it was a bit confused why it was there but I suppose given the nature of the movie and the tension in it it does belong I just think they should categorise it maybe a bit better on the site but they do have a, an offer now for both the UK and American ones. You can obviously access both with VPN if you're lucky. They're giving the offer, if you put in the voucher code SHUT IN, you get 30 days for free. They already give you 7 days free as well. So if you can watch it for a week and then on your 6th day, throw that in. Get yourself another 30 days and watch a fuckload of horror movies. And these are horror movies by people who fucking... Or they're horror selections, I should say, by people who know horror. So there's really good genre stuff in there of all kinds. And it's not just typical, let's throw the conjuring one and two and they're kind of really mainstream horror this has a lot of classic giallo and just italian horrors gory fucking slashers lots of new movies fucking movies from the likes of indonesian all that you've never heard of all these different genres different kind of flavors of horror all in there so it's really good there's a much bigger better selection on the american one though hence why i say if you have a vpn use it but the uk one still has some savage stuff so if you use the code shut in you could get 30 days and that's my free advertising I just did for them there. But the reason I mentioned it is all these different services, they're offering free things. Everyone is kind of relying on them. But Netflix have announced that they're going to be reducing the quality of their streams so that they can cater to the amount of people who are logging on and using it over the next 30 days. And I think that is just, I suppose, a slap in the fucking face if you're, you don't even need to be a purist. Like People who would, would torrent stuff as well, they're not just going to go for something shit quality. They're going to go out there and get a big high quality thing. Because people want quality no matter what way it is. That's why people kind of laugh at the idea of Blu-ray. Oh yeah, fucking you're paying money for this and that. It's like, well, your Netflix is now in lower quality. You're not getting the value that you're paying for. Whereas a Blu-ray will always be that quality. And it will always look unreal. So I think this was a slap in the face for people who are who just stream. And they're not getting the full effect. But it's a big thumbs up for those who are collectors and actually want to have physical copies and stuff because this goes to show that a physical copy is always the better thing to have. Plus extras, artwork, all that. I've already talked about why I like physical media. But this is the perfect reason for it. So, there you go. I mean, obviously Netflix is still going to look great. I have the feeling though, I have the feeling Netflix originals might be high quality. I just have, I think that's they're going to be their strategy. That their own content will look perfect, but the other movies that are on there will be reduced in quality. Or might actually just go by popularity. If it's something really popular, they might reduce the quality on that and any other shite 
I don't know. I just think it's fucking mad that they're reducing the quality at all. I get why they're doing it, but it goes to show that you can't rely on it. And I've already said before, shit can disappear off Netflix. Shit can disappear off Prime. Shit that I've been fucking putting in my watch list years ago going, oh, I'm finally going to get around to watching this. And then it's not there. And I'm stuck without it. So, physical media, if you can get it cheap, get it. That's the, the way to do it. Um, but of course, with all this Corona madness and all the fucking movies that have become available now through Amazon Prime I managed to catch The Invisible Man and The Hunt finally and I think it's quite interesting because I saw some people mention as well that Now TV were offering these movies and Now TV I think is like a 10 or a month or a 12 quid a month and you'd be able to see these movies rather than paying 19 quid each for them but it turns out that was a bit of sneaky advertising as far as I know because they were just saying that you can use Now TV to use Amazon Prime which was their way of trying to trick people into getting it and then you're stuck there with another fucking near 20 quid per film. But what I find interesting, now this, this is a bit of confusion I have. Now of course, this is more or less just going to be a segment every single week now where I mention the BBFC and certificates and all that kind of shit. But The Invisible Man, I only discovered this. Now, before I realised it was actually on the English Amazon Prime as well, I got it in the American one. And I'm wondering if the English one is cut. Because I just read that the BBFC trimmed out, I think, three or four seconds of a violent close-up because it involves suicide. That annoys me so much because the reason they did it is so I can secure a 15th rating. Otherwise, that would have been 18th, flat out. And that's happened with a few films. It happened with John Wick 2. John Wick 2 was shown in the cinema under a 15th. And I remember watching it going, this is so violent already. What could they possibly cut out that could make it 18s and it was a scene of someone cutting their wrists very like it's not even that graphic or close up it's just it happens it's a bit bloody and that to them is oh it's 18s it could encourage people to do the same what a lot of bollocks <laughs> people are, could do these things anyway it's not fucking good but i think seeing three seconds of it in a movie isn't going to be the pushing point and it shouldn't be something that makes it so okay 15 year olds can't see this extra three seconds we can see pencils being shoved into people's ears eyes and throats being slashed open people having their necks snapped heads stomped into the ground all this kind of shit but a scene of suicide or even reference to suicide is an immediate 18th i think it's fucking daft and that's apparently what happened with the invisible man however i did see a scene that is a bloody wrist being cut and i'm wondering has the UK version on streaming been altered in any way? Is that the same version that Universal have thrown out universally, convenient name, for people to stream? Is it just the one version? Is the one that I watched that was technically the American one the proper version? Or have the UK received an altered version as well? It's very confusing. It's also very stupid. I'm fucking so sick of these movies cutting for ratings. If... If the movie's otherwise a 15s bar this one little thing, then just give it the fucking 15s. I think these ratings, I mean, I've already gone into detail why they're so flawed and everything else. But, I mean, actually, I think I might have mentioned The Equalizer a, a couple of episodes ago. And how there was a few scenes in that that required an 18 cert, and when, or required a 15 cert that needed to be cut. And when you actually see them uncut, they're so minute that they make very little difference. It's like, imagine someone getting stabbed in the neck. And there's one frame less of blood squirt now. That's not going to make people go, oh, that was one frame too long. This should be 18th. No. It's just, it's 
bullshit technicalities that can fuck around with the rating system. The Invisible Man anyway should have been 15s. Because it's actually not that horrendous. A lot of stuff in it. The fact that they had to trim that at all to get a 15 is bananas. But like I said, if anyone knows. If anyone has, for some reason, bought both versions from America and England. Let me know has that scene been altered. Because I'm, I'm quite interested to know what happened there. But what I'll do is I'll actually get on and fucking review the thing. So I've actually seen a shitload of movies in the last while. Because I think everyone has. Uh, how many movies have I seen since last talking? So, well, this includes because I did do an episode of Death, about Death Wish as well. So there's five in that. But I've seen one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. I think thirteen films I've seen in the last week. So <laughs> there's a lot to cover here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna gloss over some of the other ones and mainly focus on the two new ones. Actually, you know what? I think I'll, I'll save the Hunt and the Invisible Man for the end. And I'll just do. I'll quickly just go through some of these other ones that I got to see. So, one that I've been meaning to watch for years now that I finally got around to, and was pretty much an immediate sell because it's Richard Jenkins, and I think he was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. He didn't win it, as far as I know, but he was definitely nominated. And uh, this is a movie from two thousand and seven called The Visitor, and actually, this is another fucking example like la la land again back on certs when la la land was shown in cinemas over here it got a pg rating but ryan gosling says fuck at one point in it the context of it as well is in no way sexual or no way aggressive it's just it just happened to be used in the scene it's almost like he improvised it and they didn't even notice it got a pg cert in the cinema here but when it came to dvd and blu-ray they threw a 12s on it because the uk heard fuck said right that's 12s end of no question and that's a lot of bullshit same thing happened with this okay this movie has two f words one of them is motherfucker which to people is a lot worse than fuck and very quickly used used well within context but i got a pg cert in the cinema here immediately a 15s in the uk and now the dvd is a 15s from ireland as well absolutely fucking daft especially because this movie is one of the most endearing movies i've watched in a very long time richard jenkins is like a grumpy just a grumpy well he's actually he's a college professor but he's just i, I don't even know what else you could describe him as he's just grumpy and miserable because his wife has passed and he wants to be he wants to learn an instrument so he starts trying to practice the piano because she used to be amazing at it but he kind of has no social skills anymore he doesn't get on with people he doesn't like them he's eventually sent away to new york for a conference and he has an apartment there. It's where he used to live. And when he goes there, he discovers that there's two people squatting in it. And the two people are played by... I need to get their names now. Because one of them drove me crazy trying to remember where I recognised her from. Danai Gurina, or Gurira, sorry. And Has Sleeman. Now that sounds like nonsense to me there. Because I'm so bad at pronouncing these fucking names. But uh, Danai Gurira, if I'm pronouncing her name right, is actually in Black Panther. I knew I fucking recognised her. But basically she finds the two people living there and they were basically tricked into moving into that house. They said, oh yeah, yeah, I can rent this house out to you. But actually it was owned by Richard Jenkins' character. And he arrives back and finds them there and feels guilty about having to kick them out because they have nowhere else to go. So he says, okay, you can stay here for a while until he gets settled somewhere else. And it's about him sort of coming out of his shell again and sort of learning to be happy again and appreciate things again because he's just such a miserable fucking sad sack and very cold to everyone 
And of course, this also leads to issues with immigration because these are two people that have actually entered the country illegally. And this came out in 2007 as well. So I think for a lot of people, this will be considered as quite relevant today. But they, they make a good job of actually showing these characters and what they're like and how they're good characters, good people. And it, it's just one of those movies that's just really, I suppose, sweet and nice and entertaining and very character driven and there's some really nice moments in it but it also has a lot of hard drama that was unexpected in it and they were smart in not just making it a dour drama from the get-go it is actually quite funny and he, richard jenkins is very good comedic timing in general but they make a, a they do a good job of actually getting you to care about these characters all three of them for a good half hour or 40 minutes of the movie before issues start to come in and potentially wreck the situation that's going on with them I thought it was fucking tremendous. It's uh, that guy Tom McCarthy directed it. The only other movie of his that I actually recognise. Well no. I've actually heard of most of the movies he's done. Or at least written. But I've, the only one that I nearly had a chance of seeing. And I said that because it was a DVD in the house years ago. Is one with Peter Dinklage called The Station Agent. And that's apparently excellent. So I do want to actually get into that and watch that movie. But he's directed a few movies. He did a few episodes of that 13 Reasons Why. Which I couldn't give one fuck about. And he did that Adam Sandler Cobbler movie, which apparently was a mess. But there's one called... Oh, fucking hell, he actually did a few things I've seen. I was only looking at his writing credits before. Uh, he wrote... Or sorry, he directed Spotlight, which was fucking tremendous. I mentioned that in my top 100 of the decade. And it won Best Picture that year as well at the Oscars. That's a fantastic film. But the other movie I had heard of is called Win Win. And it's Paul Giamatti. And it's something to do with what looks like college wrestling or something like that. They were the only things of his I heard of. And obviously the station agent, so I was like... Finally glad to finally get cracking on his movies, even though I technically did with Spotlight without realising. But I do plan on catching up on The Station Agent and Win Win. And I might even give The Cobbler a go because I think uh, there is likability to Adam Sandler's movies that are serious. Even if they're kind of naff and corny. Like if you look at Click, Click is the most obvious heartstring tugging shit ever. Like I enjoyed it. I think the drama does work, but it's it's like killing a puppy. It's that kind of drama where it's like obviously this is going to upset you like it's not it doesn't have enough craft to it to to be natural to make you think like oh i'm so invested in these characters this is sad i feel bad for them it's more just like here's sad old man and then you're like oh that's obviously sad and then you feel sad it's just very on the nose but i'd actually rather watch those adam Sandler movies than the likes of jack and jill and shit like that so i might actually give the cobbler a go because it's a it's a seems like a bittersweet idea so i think it's interesting the Visitor, absolutely tremendous. Fully fucking recommend that one. For 2007, I still consider it a PG movie, so go into it as that because it's very light, it's very nice, and very entertaining. So there you go. The Visitor from 2007. After that, I decided, considering I'm back on a sort of Walter Hill buzz and just been catching up on, or re-watching a lot of stuff of his that I like, but also finally catching up on stuff of his I've wanted to see for years, I decided I'm going to take a risk and re-watch one of his movies that when I watched it eight years ago I thought that was shite. It didn't work for me at all and I was just pissed off by the end of it. I said, fuck's sake, what a generic crappy fucking actioner. So I thought, well, I'm getting in the mood for his movies again. I do want to give it another try. I said, fuck it, I'll give it another go. And that movie is Bullet to the Head. Not the fantastic, mind-blowing spectacle of war and action and crime and drama and romance and thrills that is bullet in the head by john woo 
that came out in what was it 1990 which by the way needs a blu-ray release because that movie is absolutely one of the best action films i've ever seen this movie is well obviously walter hill directed it it was apparently a, 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 a comic or a graphic novel or something a french one uh, by a guy named alexis nolet nolent and i don't really know much about it but this is a sylvester Stallone action movie and the main villain in it is jason momoa who was just this is directly after game of thrones was the biggest thing ever for him so he obviously was just like okay you're Khal drogo you're just gonna be huge big intimidating mutant from now on mutant unit i meant <laughs> you're gonna be a huge intimidating unit from now on and that's basically what he is in this movie and it's a really see now don't get me wrong when i mentioned before how generic it was it still is oh i should also mention i did like it this time that was the difference when i first watched it, it didn't work for me at all it pissed me off this time it's actually not bad it's not it's far from great it's just a good solid middle of the road decent bloody action movie uh the plot though is just something you've seen a billion times before the guy it, it's sylvester sloan is like a career criminal and he is a hitman and what happens is his partner is killed by jason momoa and sylvester Stallone, the guy who he just hit is actually the partner of a cop played by sung kang and the two of them basically team up and he says look i know that you're just a hitman there's nothing personal between you and my partner but i want to know who hired you because the person who hired you more than likely killed your partner as well so let's team up so you have a cop and a criminal together teaming up to find the common enemy kind of thing but done a million times before in this though it's more interesting in the sense that they're not like two people who are at odds who grow to become best friends they still actually hate each other for pretty much the whole movie which i thought was interesting the problem is though i don't think sung kang has nearly enough chemistry to go up against stallone because stallone owns the movie that should have been someone of stallone quality someone who's playing who can play a cop really well and stallone can play a scumbag criminal and have the two of them at odds rather than a character who's not that good who doesn't really do much in the movie other than whinge and complain and stallone carries the whole thing i think that kind of hurts it a bit but generic plot goes pretty much exactly where you think it'll go the entire way through but it's actually quite entertaining a lot better than i had remembered i remember the fight like see i think all i remembered was just how shit the chemistry was between sun kang and Sylvester Stallone, and their dialogue between them not being great but the actual action scenes are really vicious raw visceral bloody and stallone is fucking class in them so i don't know it's actually it's not a bad movie i think uh, i've as much as I've always liked Walter Hill, I'm really getting a flavour for what he goes for, having rewatched all his other movies. And that kind of helped me enjoy this a bit more. So it actually is well worth watching. I, I, I don't love the movie. I don't think it's amazing. It's well worth watching. It's on... What was it on? I think I watched it on Prime for free. So it's available. Well worth a look. Just, uh, just don't have too high expectations. Because you're, you're not going to... They're not really going to be met. But if you want a solid bloody thumpy fucking action movie this will do the trick and uh i also think as well jason momoa he could have played a better villain i think he was just finding his feet really because i mean his career only really took off after game of thrones and well this one obviously helped as well because they saw him and said he'd be good but i think at this stage in his career he'd play a much better villain than he did eight years ago 
but overall well worth a look very entertaining uh, goes to show that sometimes it actually is worth revisiting some of these movies but on the subject of Walter Hill I did watch the movie he da- did after that and it's now his last movie which I'm fucking hoping isn't the one he finishes his career on because he's actually had such an unbelievably strong career in gritty action movies like it's, it's pretty much all he ever makes in some way shape or form and they're all mostly all fantastic they're all at least good except one of them from the mid 90s called last man standing which was essentially just a remake of well i think yojimbo's the original one the kurosawa one but that eventually became fistful of dollars and then last man standing is basically just a, a prohibition set or well like a 1930s set kind of western version of what's one or a fistful of dollars and it's just really shite bruce willis has no charisma in it whatsoever christopher walken is probably the best part of it he's a villain and the action scenes just piss me off it's one of those ones where people get shot and they fly 70 feet through the air and it it, it didn't come off as like fun or entertaining it just pissed me off the whole way through and again that's what i mean like bruce willis he, he doesn't even chew the scenery he just sits there looking at it that's a movie of his that I've seen recently enough that I know I probably won't enjoy on a rewatch. I thought it was really fucking terrible. But Bullet to the Head was old enough. Like, I mean, eight years is a long time. Or seven and a half, how long ago it was. So, I did get the benefits of that movie on a rewatch. However, this last movie he did, which goes under two titles now. One called The Assignment, which I think is the official UK title, but for some reason on the UK Prime it's called the original title of Tomboy. This movie, and this had a huge fucking controversy behind it as well. It was the LGBT and the trans community were going bananas over it. Because the general plot of the movie follows Michelle Rodriguez, who for the first 15-20 minutes of the movie has a beard and fake male chest and a dick and you see all this at the start because they have to establish this is a bloke and even though and you see the problem with this is it actually could have been kind of convincing in some parts because there's a, like you see characters like that in movies and they're believable but they she doesn't have the voice for it. it's literally just her voice over this guy and i thought if they just deepened her voice for that scene it would have actually been way more effective but the idea is a mad doctor played by sigourney weaver kidnaps michelle rodriguez's character who i think well, the name is frank or something it's a real basic guy's name frank kitchen which is a stupid fucking name kidnaps him and forces gender reassignment on him and turns him into a woman and against his will so he just goes on a, a revenge spree against her and all the cronies that helps set it up it's already a daft idea especially the reasons why it happens they just become stupider and stupider as it goes on but it's so fucking boring unbelievably boring and it's it's one of those things as well where it's just it's comically fucking good surgery because i think it's only meant to be like a week later and it just looks like michelle rodriguez no scars no healing whatsoever she's just yep now michelle rodriguez it's daft the dialogue is garbage the movie looks cheap it feels cheap it's so poorly put together the action scenes are terrible there's not a single good performance of the good thing the script is dire sigourney weaver probably gives maybe the worst performance i've ever seen from her and she's done some brilliant stuff she's done some kind of weaker stuff but she is garbage here 
really fucking bad. And it's such a shame because she's usually brilliant. Michelle Rodriguez is usually entertaining. She can usually put the effort into an action scene. But there's nothing to this movie. Lame, stupid ideas. Cringy. Above all, boring as fuck. It is so uninteresting. It's almost fascinating. Walter Hill cannot end his career on this. Like I said, a few years ago I thought, oh, it's a shame he fucking, he made bullets to the head. That was a shit movie. You should have done better. That, that would have been a great fucking film to finish on in comparison. It is just uh, unbelievable. And I actually, now I haven't seen this. This is one of the ones I have to catch up on. Uh, but it's one he made in the late 80s with Mickey Rourke. And the idea is sort of similar. It involves face being changed as a, a form of revenge, I think. And it's called Johnny Handsome. And it's just, it's really fucking strange. I, I, it sounds like he just got that idea and said, I want to try something new with it. And just made a botched idea out of it. It's a damn shame. And I really hope, I don't know if he even has it in the pipeline. Because, I mean, this is the same chap who's also responsible for fucking Deadwood. Along with HBO and David Milch and all them. But as a, as a director, he has nothing in the pipeline here. The last thing he's done is Tomboy. Please, Walter Hill. <laughs> Make something else. Finish on a fucking high. Because I mean. He's actually had. It's it's mental. If you look at his. Catalogue. Actually I did mention this a few weeks ago. When I talked about Hard Times. I completely forgot he used to fucking write movies. As well. Before he started directing. Because I saw Hard Times. I thought. Jeez what a serious fucking director on a debut. How did he fucking swing that. But if you actually look at the shit that he wrote. He wrote The Getaway. With Steve McQueen. And The Drowning Pool. Like he's, he's done some fucking stuff that people know and people care about and the getaway is a big one because I, I, even when i was going through stuff i thought oh he wrote the the 90s getaway forgot it was a remake forgot he wrote the original so obviously he got a start in writing there and that was enough to push him along to get hard times but if you look at it if his career from 75 until say 88 was all top tier now i haven't seen crossroads i heard it's fucking great but if you look at these right you have Hard Times, which was amazing. The Driver is amazing. I absolutely love The Warriors. Long Riders, I didn't see all of. I actually had an American DVD, which is, I can't remember whether it was Gammy or I just stopped watching it. I just remember there was something up with it, and I just didn't, never got around to finishing it, but I remember enjoying what I saw. It's also regarded one of his best. Southern Comfort is class. 48 Hours is brilliant. Streets of Fire has become an absolute favourite of mine. Brewster's Minions I saw very young, but I remember probably enjoying it, because I like Richard Pryor anyway. And it's Crossroads, Extreme Prejudice I only watched a few years ago. Phenomenal fucking movie. Absolutely loved it. It was just a perfect fucking... Like, that. that's a movie I'd love to see at Grindhouse or something like that. That's a great fucking tough guys with drink cans of beer and watch this movie kind of movie. Uh, then Red Heat after that, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. All of those movies in a row is just... That's serious fucking... Like, not many people are that lucky. After that, they needed Johnny Handsome. I don't know anything about that. Other than what I just said a minute ago. Uh, another 48 hours, kind of weak. Trespass, quite entertaining, not great. I haven't seen Geronimo or Wild Bill. Last Man Standing was terrible. Undisputed, I thought, was fucking great. And then after that, he just got the ball rolling with Deadwood in... Actually, hang on. So, Undisputed was 2002. Deadwood started in 2004. Then he made Bullet to the Head in 2012. And then Tomboy in 2016. And then nothing. I, I don't know where this guy has gone. He needs to come back. There needs to be more Walter Hill. I want him to have some good, tough, gritty action movies to make them like he used to and just come out with a bunch of fucking class fucking new movies. That's just the dream right now. But 
to end on Tomboy is not a strong finish, so avoid Tomboy. It's also on Amazon Prime, but you can do way fucking better than that. So save your time and watch. Just watch Bullets of the Head, actually. That, that, you'll get much more out of that than you will out of Tomboy. So yeah, avoid Tomboy or the assignment at all costs. After that, though, I treated myself to a fucking serious thriller. One that I didn't even realise was a fucking true story. I don't know how I never heard of this. It seems like the kind of thing that would have been all over the news. Then again, I didn't exactly watch the news a lot in 2008. But, I mean, I'd be aware of it. You hear the likes of 9-11 and things like that. You're always aware of these big events that go on. But this is one that actually totally slipped my radar. And it actually made it more thrilling for me. Because I didn't know where it was going to go or what was going to happen. Because like, if you watch something that's based on a true story, you're like, okay, I know... The general plotline, I'm just kind of seeing the procedure to what happened. This was just totally new for me. So, it's a movie called Hotel Mumbai. And, weirdly enough, it's, it's available through Sky Store, of all places. But this movie, it actually came out here late 2019. Although it says it was finished in 2018. So, I don't know whether or not that actually got a release anywhere in 2018. But it stars Dev Patel. And you have performances from Army Hammer. And Jason Isaacs, hello to him. And it takes place in India at the Taj Hotel. And it's a stranger because you're kind of you're following a lot of characters in it, but you could say that the main character is Dev Patel. And he just plays one of the waiting staff at the Taj Hotel. Like this is one of the most prestigious high-end hotels you could ever fucking go to. And their whole philosophy is the guest is God. Like, they get treated the best. You'll always put in 110,000%. You'll always be clean, tidy, neat, work hard. All that general kind of just fucking seven-star hotel mentality. And what happens is there is several terrorist attacks in the one day across Mumbai. And one of them makes its way to... Where all these terrorists are due to congregate is at this hotel and take that over and kill lots of people and the way this movie is done is so good because you're introduced to all these different characters enough that you care about them but also enough that anything can happen to them like you don't know who may actually make it out of this or not and it's very smart how they do it some of the fucking scenes in this movie are nail-bitingly tense like there's one scene in particular that involves a baby that i was nearly gonna faint on the edge of my seat it was so tense and i was like this is one of the most effective thrillers i've watched in a long time this is brilliant because i just had no clue where it was gonna go and as i said not knowing the actual history of it made it better for me because i was like oh fuck what actually happened here did all these people die is this an attack i'd never heard of at all did they all survive no clue and they did a smart job of actually having real news footage and footage from the hotel while this was actually going on not from inside the hotel but from outside with the, the police siege and everything else amazing how they did it really captivating stuff intense really realistic you give a fuck about everybody that you're watching and that's important as well because if you're watching a movie where you don't care about the people you're not going to care what happens you're just going to sit there going when's the next explosion when are these people going to get shot if it's just an action movie or something but a movie where there's a genuine threat a real threat that could happen that you can put yourself in this position with people you actually care about the tension is just ramped up by a thousand and they did a fucking amazing job of this 
So Hotel Mumbai, fully recommend it. If you know what actually happened at the Taj or you have any information about it, then you'll probably still enjoy it. It'll be just a dramatised version of that. But if you don't know anything about it, you know as much as I did there, then you're going to just be totally on edge the whole time. I thought it was absolutely fucking fantastic and totally recommend it. So Hotel Mumbai from, I used to 2008, from 20, well technically 2019, but it's also 2018 and it's set in 2008. So there's a lot going on there. After that, I got to catch up on one that was on Netflix that I'd been meaning to see for ages. I remember when it came out, I heard very, very fucking mixed things about it. I thought it looked like a horror film. I wasn't sure what the fuck was going on with it. it looked like it could have been somewhere in the same lines as Black Swan, especially as well because Natalie Portman is in it. But it is a movie from 2018, although it came out in 2019 over here, called Vox Lux. And it's directed by Brady Corbett, who I remember seeing that name and going, why do I know that? And it turns out he's actually an actor who I saw in the remake of Funny Games and a bit of a movie I saw years ago, which I really should watch the full thing of, called Mysterious Skin. And I remember him in the two of those and going, oh fuck, I, I didn't think he was actually a director. He actually appears in uh, Force Majeure as well. And he's very good in that. So I thought, oh, this is interesting, he's actually a director. Let's see what he does. And this movie, for the first hour, to me, is a genuine masterpiece. For the second hour, it's good. And that's that's the unfortunate thing with this movie. The basic idea is Natalie Portman is this pop star who's essentially she looks like a cross between Lady Gaga and a bunch of other fucking people, but she's kind of got a mean New York attitude about her, and whatever else. And her manager is Jude Law, so it's a reunion there from Closer. But this it this takes place in twenty seventeen, I think, and it shows her getting to this point. As a kid in 1999. And a, a tragic situation she gets put into. That leads to her career coming together. And that's all I want to say about it. Because I knew nothing about this movie. Willem Dafoe actually narrates it too. But the first 10 minutes of this movie. Is one of the most shocking, jarring, totally surprising insane things I've seen and from then there's just this whole really just sense that everything's wrong it almost feels like under the skin or something like that where it just has this really uncomfortable I don't know what is going to happen next level of tension and I thought it was fucking amazing that's more about the lead up and how her career starts as a kid she's only like 14 or something the actress who plays her actually I knew I recognised her uh, when I saw her singing, and her name is Rafi Cassidy, and it turns out she's actually in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I remember her singing in that, and going, oh, I knew I recognised the way she sang, I thought obviously she's a trained singer, and she tries to get that out in a lot of her movies, but from what I've seen so far, but fucking hell, this movie, insanely tense for the first hour, but when you actually get to see it from the adult side of her, when she's played by Natalie Bartman, I don't know, there's still a, a bit of the tension there. I think people are overselling how good she is in it. Like, she is very solid in it. But people are saying this is groundbreaking, best performance she's ever done. I don't think it is. I think she's good in it. Where the story goes isn't all that interesting. I think there's some interesting ideas, but it feels like they just skipped too much of it. You're going from what is essentially the start of her career to what is the height of her career, or at least... Uh, 
there's been hiccups along the way you learn about why her career is in a bit of a rocky situation at the moment but uh, I don't know I feel like the second half of the movie was like a different film and not a strong movie the, the first hour though is just riveting I was completely zoned in I didn't know where it was going to go absolutely gorgeous looking movie because it's shot on 35mm and it looks fantastic there's there's so much to admire about it I just think that I don't know I, it, it's a film of two halves and the second half just isn't as good if the whole movie was like the second half as well it would feel it it, it really atmospherically reminded me of The Neon Demon by Nicholas Winding Refn it has that real sort of cold vapid look at celebrity and fashion and stuff but this one obviously is more the music scene but there's, there's some of the music scenes with Natalie Portman they, they look like the most generic typical fucking pop music that comes out nowadays absolute garbage but they they do a really good job of making that real and just kind of putting you in that world like the way Neon Demon just has lots of fashion shows and the way that ends as well as like a fashion music video there's a lot of that kind of stuff in it and I, I get what they're doing with it it just didn't it didn't grab me but the first hour of this movie is worth watching for alone it's called Vox Lux you can see it on Netflix I thought that part was amazing and then it's just very good after that and I think I mentioned Willem Dafoe narrating it if I didn't he narrates the movie I have a small appearance from Christopher Abbott and Stacey Martin who I saw in Nymphomaniac I was wondering would I ever see her again because that's the kind of movie that would very much hurt your career even though I like Nymphomaniac but it's the kind of thing where it'd, it'd be tough to get some work after that one I'd say uh, but yeah definitely worth a look just I don't know it's a strange one because I, I, I rate the first half so highly like the highest recommendation I can give it but it, it's just hard to to push the second half but like I said you decide for yourselves it's on Netflix give it a look it's called Vox Lux and enjoy and actually another movie that I watched which was a Blu-ray this time from Eureka Masters of Cinema is a movie called Eureka from 1983. Now this is a Nicholas Rogue movie and I kind of always have in my head what to expect from something he's done. I know it's not going to be conventional, I know it's going to be strange and surreal and probably confusing and odd and all those things and of course this was but this like Vox Lux has elements that are masterclass and then other elements where I'm like, oh, I really don't know about that. This feels like about four different movies cobbled together. And the thing is, a lot of the thing that people don't get on board with Nick, Nick Rogue is probably the surreal, bizarre, strange elements that his movies have. That was all the stuff that I absolutely adored about this movie. This The first 25 minutes or so are just fucking so odd, so strange. The music is horror movie tense amazing visuals really surreal trippy magic going on but basically the idea of it is is that gene hackman is a prospector in 1925 in the arctic and he's looking for gold in the mountains and you kind of get this sense that he possibly sold his soul to find it because there's so much odd surreal shit and fire and just weird things going on at the beginning and he of course finds a near impossible amount of gold and becomes the richest man in the world but the movie then shows 20 years later about how his life feels kind of empty now that he has everything and he's trying to rekindle the relationship with his daughter who's now seeing uh another rich sort of 
I suppose he might see a lot of himself in this person. That's why he doesn't like him. But it's a character played by Rucker Howard. His daughter's played by Teresa Russell. And that's simultaneously going on with a plot line where Mickey Rourke, who plays an, an accountant or a... I suppose you call him an accountant, who works for a, a Meyer Lansky ripoff played by Joe Pesci, who wants to buy out Gene Hackman's land in the Caribbean so they can build a casino there. And you have these two things going on while there's crime elements and a courtroom drama element and surreal, fantastical, near-horror elements. And it's just so fucking bizarre. I did, several times this movie was saying to myself, what the fuck is actually going on? There's all like romantic elements and stuff as well. But there's just... I don't know, like, all the, all the surreal shit at the start I loved. There's another part, probably about midway through the movie, of just jarring, strange violence and surreal, near-nightmare imagery. And all that stuff I absolutely love. That's the stuff that tends to put people off. But the rest of it, you've got a fairly dour, boring romance drama. A crime plot that seems like it's not all that important. It seems like it's an afterthought. It doesn't feel like Joe Pesci and Mickey work like, we need to get this land. They're just like, yeah, we should probably sort out that land. They, they don't. There's no urgency to it. There's no real tension with it. I don't know. It just it was really all over the place. There's parts of the movie I loved, like I said, but there's other parts I'm like, it's not that I didn't like them. It's just that it didn't interest me. And when you split these up, like if you had a movie just about these gangsters trying to buy the land, it could be really interesting. If you had a movie just about him trying to reconnect with his daughter and uh, the new rich boyfriend who's a fucking cocky arsehole, yeah, you could also get on board with that. But I think trying to blend all that together just turned out really fucking messy it's an interesting movie it's a mainstream movie and that's a movie that would you wouldn't see a mainstream movie like this ever again but i don't know it's i'm very in the middle about it because i i I found it too confusing even for nick rogue i knew it was going to be strange but that's not the parts that put me off it's the dreariness that put me off that made me go what the fuck is actually going on here because it seemed like he was making it up as he went along and couldn't decide which genre he wanted to stick with if it stuck with one of these genres, or at least mixed them well, it'd be fine. And like I said, the surreal imagery, I loved. There's a part at the beginning that I was gobsmacked by, I couldn't fucking believe. But yeah, it's. I think with that in mind, you might enjoy it, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's one I haven't made a full decision on. I do like it, I, don't, I definitely don't love it, and I definitely didn't hate it, but I'm very in the middle with it. So that's Eureka, starring Gene Hackman, Theresa Russell, Rucker Hauer, Mickey Rourke, uh, Joe Pesci. You also got an appearance from Joe Spinell, Ed Lauder, loads of fucking people. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm near, not speechless, but I'm, I don't know what else to really say about it. It's just too odd. But it's if you want something strange, give it a look. That's all I'll say. So Eureka from 1983. After that, I wanted to... I don't know if wind down is the right word but I wanted to go for something a bit different so I went for an Irish film one that I didn't get a chance to see at the time unfortunately because this would have been fucking great in the cinema it's one that was put back on my radar because the two people behind it the Toehill brothers I think is how you say it so Andy Toehill and Ryan Toehill are now going to be working on the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie so that's very fucking interesting and very good for two lads from Ireland because I know the two guys who made... If I can remember the fucking name of it now. I think Inside is what they did. 
they went on to do the Leatherface movie, which was, I don't even want to get into it, one of the worst horror films of the decade for sure. Absolutely atrociously bad. So, I don't know whether this is a good thing here, but, I mean, because obviously I love Inside, and then to go from that high to that is disappointing. But if they're rebooting the franchise completely, they might go for a totally different feel. Not necessary at all, of course, but they, they could bring something interesting to it. But this is a movie they did in 2018, although it didn't come out here till mid-2019. Most of these movies that I fucking saw have been released a year later. This is why I fucking hate release dates. But this is a movie called The Dig, and it stars Mo Dunford and Francis McGee and Lorcan Cranich and, I can't remember her name, Emily Taff. I thought it was fucking phenomenal it's probably one of the best irish films i've seen in years really fucking smart and well done and this is one that i actually want to not give too much uh, too much information for see i went in completely blind so there's a revelation maybe 15 minutes into it that totally surprised me but it's hard to not actually talk about the movie at all without saying it so i won't reveal anything else of course but the general idea is after 15 years this guy named callahan returns home to it's rural island really small areas and that's played by mo dunford and he just he has a lot of land it's his old family house but on the land he discovers the whole bog has been dug up and loads all these different holes dug up on it and he sees two people digging there and those two people are the sister and father of a woman that supposedly 15 years ago he murdered while blackout drunk and has no idea where he put the body and they are desperately digging trying to find it and overwrought with this guilt he decides he's going to help that's all i'm going to say about it so you have these two characters well three characters so you've mo dunford who plays obviously callahan you have the father named sean who's played by lorcan cranich and the sister roberta played by emily taff and they are all out there attempting to find this body all i'll say about it i thought it was fucking fantastic i've seen a lot of criticism about it first of all idiotic criticism saying it's misogynist total fucking nonsense uh, so disregard all that completely also people saying it is slow and boring and nothing happening also nonsense also should be disregarded this movie just because it's not fucking action a minute doesn't mean that it's boring this is such a good character drama for everyone all the characters in this get their moment to really show what they're like as characters and people it's brilliantly done deliberately paced i thought it was fantastic it's tense i had no idea where it was gonna go it's very fucking smart too i just thought it was ultra ultra impressive and i think it's a debut as well which makes it all the more impressive i know these two lads would do fucking great with the next texas chainsaw massacre i I wish they were doing something else. I wish they were doing a horror in America that had nothing to do with Chains of Magic. But obviously, familiar names will sell more. People are going to go see it. If they get to bring their own touch to it and it's not too fucking meddled with by studios, then that would be amazing because I'd be really interesting to see, or really interested to see what they can do totally uninhibited. So, The Dig from 2018 slash 2019 phenomenal fucking film probably one of the best irish films i've seen in years so definitely give it a look and serious performances too your man mo dunford i saw him also in uh michael inside the prison movie 
I remember being really good in that, but this movie really gets to show his talents here. So, The Dig from 2018, check it out. Keeping on the subject of Irish movies, I saw another one which was from last year that seemed to be a massive hit. I think worldwide. I think Americans loved it. I know it went down really well over here. I think. No, it didn't, it didn't show at the festival. Or maybe it did. I can't remember if it showed at any festivals last year, but it's a comedy horror called Extraordinary. And just recently it came to Netflix. I think only in the last week, so it's obviously getting another big audience. And one of the things that grabbed me about it was, well, obviously Irish made, sort of a comedy horror, but it has Will Forte in it, who I absolutely love. He's hilarious. Unfortunately, now here's the thing. This is a weird one to talk about because... I didn't like it, didn't do anything for me, however I fully 100% see why people liked it. I know the audience it's appealing to and the type of humour it's appealing to that just isn't mine, that doesn't suit me and I feel like a lot of the humour in it would definitely appeal more to the rural side of Ireland or maybe like down in Cork or things like that, just that there's different uh, types of language that's used, types of, or sorry, I suppose phrases lingo all that kind of shit all felt a bit too republic of telly or something like that for me it just kind of it's like it had people who i don't even know what way to really put it 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 actually just felt like a big republic of telly sketch that kind of comedy where it's just really obvious on the nose irish references that they just throw in and it's I think a lot of it would be stuff you might have to have grown up with or something. I don't know. It's just, all that stuff didn't really work. But the, gen- the general plot of it is um, Maeve Higgins, who she's a... I think she's a comedian in real life. She's actually in some HBO series now, I think, if I remember correctly. But she plays a driving instructor who has inherited and inherited a special ability to contact ghosts that she got from her dad, who used to... Uh, have this ghost hunting tv show or one of these kind of things about ghosts and she's contacted by barry ward who his dead wife is haunting the house and pretty much acting the bollocks the whole time and himself and his daughter can't really put up with it anymore so they contact her in order to try exercise the spirit and this is all happening while will fort is playing this wash-up psychedelic rock musician who was huge back in the 70s by the way the time period of this movie i'm not really sure because all the phones in it are like nokia 3310s i think it's meant to be like the i don't know when they came out those phones like late 90s early 2000s maybe very like 20 years ago and because all the tvs are old and all there's not there's no smartphone kind of stuff in it so that actually was a good help for the movie but it just made it feel a bit more authentic that way it wasn't just apps and typical lingo that will be used nowadays that just actually kills comedy in my eyes which I'll get into it another time. But Will Ford plays this musician who decides to sell his soul or sell a soul or rather do a virgin sacrifice to the devil in order to have his career rekindled because he only ever had a one hit wonder 20 years ago. And he sets his eyes on Barry Ward's daughter and says, I want her, I'm going to kidnap her. And then you pretty much have Barry Ward and Maeve Higgins together trying to not only solve the problem in his house with his wife, but also save his daughter from being sacrificed to the devil. 
from that you just know it's going to be daft and fun and good natured and all that and it is all those things i can see the appeal of them i just found the comedy dull didn't make me laugh at all really it's a tough one like i said there's elements i know people will love i know the type of humor i know people will adore some of the stuff in it particularly the scenes of barry ward's character becoming a vessel for the various different ghosts that maybe higgins is trying to exercise it's it's funny ideas there's a lot of good ideas in it i just don't think it it's for me the performance has kind of annoyed me as well i think maeve higgins is very i'm very aware that she's acting in it if that makes sense but again it's not that kind of film it's just it's it's a film that just isn't for me that's the best way i can put it i think if you enjoy these kind of horror comedies if you enjoy odd quirky stuff like this it'll be right up your street i know a lot of people who really liked it it's just not my thing i don't hate the movie i don't like the movie i kind of nothing it just not my thing so if you want something that's just very light although there is some kind of like there's some swearing in it and there's some bloody bits and there's devilish kind of imagery and things like that which i don't know could put some people off if that doesn't then this is a movie for you you'll enjoy it it's brainless fun but just not my kind of brainless fun so extraordinary it's on netflix now it's fun to see an Irish movie kind of get this attention as well. And obviously Will Ford appearing in it was a big surprise. I'm surprised he did it all. Um, I wish I knew he was here. Although he would have been... I think I think this was shot in Cork. Because it sounds like a lot of Cork accents and phrases and things like that. But I, I can't be 100% sure. That's based purely on... Uh, I think The Young Offenders. I think that was Cork. I must check that. But it kind of sounds like the same kind of... Like it might be in a, the, the town, next town over from where The Young Offenders is. Stuff like that. So I do, I, I recommend it purely because I know people will like it. I just didn't. So extraordinary. If you want a quirky Irish comedy, it'll do the trick for you, but not for me. So there you go. In keeping the light spirit trains going, pun very much intended, and I wish I used it earlier when talking about extraordinary, I decided to watch a comedy movie that it never really appealed to me, even though it has actors I like in it. I just thought it looked, yeah. And I watched it and it turned out to be exactly that. It was, yeah. It's fine. It's a movie called Terror Heist. And it stars Eddie Murphy, Ben Stiller, Casey Affleck, Alan Alda, and Matthew Broderick and Michael Pena. And there's tons more faces. Tia Leone as well. Loads of faces and people you'd recognise throughout it. It's set in New York. And it's basically a group of people who are working for this amazing high-rise hotel and it's just or like even apartments i think they are it's the highest luxury it's the best standards all this kind of stuff but there's a guy who lives in the penthouse suite and that's alan alla and it turns out that they fell victim to a ponzi scheme that he set up and he fucked everyone out of all their pensions and all their money and even though ben stiller was pretty much a friend of his because of how well ben stiller is actually the, the sort of floor manager type i should say he he kind of feels like he's on his side but he realizes fairly soon after that that alan alda's a scumbag and decides right i don't want to get let this guy get away with it so we are going to rob him but he's of course under house arrest under the fbi's instruction because they have to make sure that he actually has stolen all this money making the heist a bit more difficult so he enlists the help of casey affleck who 
also works in the hotel with him. Eddie Murphy, who's an extra neighbor and a thief. Gabrielle, uh, how do you say her fucking name? Sibide, or Sidibe. Gabrielle Sidibe. That's it. Who she works as a maid in the hotel, but she also knows how to work with technology and crack safes. You've T. Leone is the FBI agent who's trying to stop them, or at least trying to stop the. Uh, not even stop the robbery, just to fucking stop on Alan. Michael Pena is a new elevator sort of employee guy. I can't remember what you call him. <laughs> but he is also involved in the robbery. And finally, Matthew Broderick, who is someone who was thrown out of the hotel because he couldn't pay for it anymore. So they've all these different characters who have a reason to go after Alan Alda, and they decide to band together and find a way to rob the money that he supposedly stole. That was a long-winded way to describe what is a very, very basic setup, but there's a lot of characters at play here, so I thought I'd mention them all. It's literally exactly what it says on the tin. You know what you're going to get here. There's going to be a couple of laughs, which there is. There's going to be some very light tension. It's generally good-natured, some very obvious jokes. You know the character arcs from everyone as soon as it starts. I actually thought, because you can just tell that... Alan Alda, like, you just know he's going to be a scumbag a few minutes after you kind of see that he may have robbed from him. But I think it would have been a really interesting plot idea if he was actually a really good guy and everyone was just turning against him. That would have been much more interesting, but it would be a bit darker, I suppose. But, yeah, it's just... It's one of those movies that there's very little to actually talk about with it because it's so pedestrian and middle-of-the-road and grand. It's just there's nothing really to it. Funny jokes, bit of tension. You know where it's going to go almost immediately. Yeah, there's not much to it. It's just middle of the road. It's fine. If you want to kill an hour and a half or nearly two hours, yeah, it'll do the trick. It's very light entertainment. I don't know. I think when there's movies that are this middle of the road, there's actually not a lot you can say about them. Because, I mean, if a movie's really bad, you have a lot to say. If a movie's really good, you have a lot to say. But when there's nothing nothing new or interesting you're just kind of sitting there going well i've seen this before i've i've talked about it before there's nothing there's nothing to grab me or to make me blown away it's not bad there's nothing bad about it the performances are fine the jokes work the the plot is entertaining it's a good idea but there's just nothing to it so terror heist from 2011 it's fine give a look if you like it's on netflix no rush no pressure Speaking of pressure though and extreme pressure and timely pressure and a movie that I I think got a bad rep before even though it is now technically the most popular movie on the planet at the moment is Contagion, a Steven Soderbergh movie that came out in 2011 and I remember when it came out I thought I, I do want to see this movie. It actually kind of reminded me a bit of Cloverfield as a sort of contagion quarantine lockdown sort of scene in Cloverfield I thought this looks like a a whole movie of that didn't even look action packed but I think as soon as people hear about infections or viruses they think zombies and that's exactly what I think people went into and they were disappointed when they got a really serious procedural movie about what would happen in the event of a worldwide viral infection and how they're going to contain it and obviously with the coronavirus and all that is going on now, this movie couldn't have been more, not only relevant, prevalent, all that, it is so accurate to what's actually going on. 
Now, of course, it isn't as an extreme as a pandemic as this is, because this is one where once you get it within like two or three days, you are dead and it's immediate symptoms and it's fairly tense. But this is a lot of the same elements, a lot of the same procedures that they go through, the messages that are put out to the public and I mean, even just like basic shit, wash your hands, don't touch your face, all that. Everything is just so relevant to what's happening now that it's actually almost prophetic, this movie. Huge cast in it as well. You have the likes of Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, Brian Cranston, Lawrence Fishburne, John Hawks, and Gwyneth Paltrow. And just so many fucking people. Almost everyone in this movie you would recognise and go, yeah, I know him. Even Dimitri Martin, a comedian, shot up and thought, it's not him and it turned out to actually be him. But there's a lot going on here. There's no real protagonist. It's all these characters all together in this situation. And you're just seeing the steps and procedures that they go through in order to try create a vaccine, to try stop panic. You've got Jude Law playing a scumbag character. He's like a fucking snake oil salesman from the fucking West who is basically saying how don't get your vaccines don't do this and that i'm selling this special serum which will is proven to cure this disease and all this and he's basically just spreading panic and fear and getting money for it and he's a dirtbag and i don't know there's just it, it feels so realistic to the point where you almost forget you're watching a movie there's no real kind of oscar performance like i mean steven soderbergh's movies a lot of the time just feel really realistic and there's a a style to them where you're not really paying attention too much to the technical aspects. You're more involved in the story and the characters. And this is because of so many characters. You don't have... I mean, you can latch on to some. You can care about some. But none are the protagonists. So you're kind of just there with them while all this is going on. And it's just really fucking well done. I think it's a vitally important film to watch nowadays. Because you can really see how this panic spreads and everything else. But it's, it's just crazy. And with how accurate it is to what's going on with coronavirus, it is... Cr- I, I couldn't believe it. I was just watching it going, this is like they predicted this was going to happen. Because... It, it almost seems redundant to make coronavirus movies after... all the, When all this is settled down, there's obviously going to be all these viral and contagion movies that are going to come out. But this one did it first, and it did it right, and it did it real. And I think is one that's worth seeing. And everybody's watching it now. It felt like jumping on the bandwagon, but I actually plan on watching it anyway. So, I had no better excuse than to watch it now. So yeah, it's on Netflix. Or at least it was, because I knew it was going on and off for a while now. I watched a DVD of it, but it is on Netflix. It is available. At least maybe on the American one. I'd say everywhere is going to try to get their hands on this movie now and stream it because it's that popular. They're all going to want people coming to their service to watch it. And like I said, on Letterboxd, it's the number one movie at the moment. Parasite was for ages, and now it's been overtaken by this. And the surge of people watching it. Like Letterboxd themselves are posting about it going, this is crazy. So, Contagion from 2011. Well worth watching. I think people are looking at it differently now. It's, it's, it's a true resurgence for this movie. Because like it's, I mean, if you go by the bullshit IMDb ratings, it has like a 6.7. And I think that should be way higher. Because the performances are great. The story's great. It's realistic. Especially when you look at it now, you see how realistic it is. I think people wanted a different movie at the time. And now they want this movie. So this movie is going to really just change for people and it's going to find new life in the most fucked up of circumstances, but that's how it is. So Contagion from 2011, fully recommend it. Steven Soderbergh's brilliant anyway. I think any time I see his name attached to something, I'm pretty much on board. So keep an eye out for this one and give it a look. 
obviously to try wind down from the utter grimness that was uh, Contagion, I decided to watch a film that I've been put off of for years. And it's only in recent years I've, well, I suppose I was kind of interested a few years ago as well, but I'll explain. I can't stand football hooligans. I think they're the biggest groups of fucking twats ever. And most movies that come out about them, particularly recent ones, are almost showing them in a glorified manner, in a, in a way that they're legends. It's like all those Essex Boys movies that come out. There's about fucking 20 movies telling the exact same fucking story of that fucking shooting. And they just, they call the people involved legends and legendary. And all these words, like, as if it's the biggest, most important thing that's ever happened in UK crime history. Football hooligan movies always somehow revert back to that. But they always just go on about it like these people are cool. And I fucking hate them. So I've always been put off anything related to football hooligans in a lot of ways. This movie, I saw... I had the DVD. I remember getting the DVD from the library at one stage. And I never ended up watching it. There was a lot of films I did that with because... I think I mentioned before, the library used to fucking... Give you ten movies to take back and... Sometimes a box set would count as one movie. So you'd have loads to get through and sometimes you wouldn't get through them all. But this one... I don't know why I never got around to watching it. But once I found out it involved football hooligans, I was like... ah, This is just going to annoy me. It's going to be like all those other ones. They always have some triple alliterative fucking title as well but this one thankfully was not like the others and this movie is called id and it came out in the mid 90s and surprised i was actually just trying to think why i recognized the name of the director because the name is phil davis and i was thinking where have i seen that name before i know i've seen it around it turns out he's an actor who's in so many fucking english like crime shows and a lot of police related stuff he's mad at all that he was in a really good movie called face from a good few years ago that was 97 i think that was and he's actually uh, in an episode of sherlock a pretty prominent character i think maybe might have been the very first episode of sherlock at least in the first season anyway that was the first place that i, I really kind of took proper notice of him but he's a fucking he's a good actor but i didn't realize he actually directed anything he did a few shorter films and kind of less prominent ones but this was obviously his biggest one and the amount of fucking actors in this movie that you'd recognise. A lot of them I don't know by name though. One of them is actually Dim from A Clockwork Orange. Uh, Warren Clark. Uh, that's the actor's name. But most of these people are people that I've seen pop up in all sorts of British TV and movies. Either as criminals or scumbags or sometimes even cops. And there's a lot going on in it. Uh, but the movie follows Reese Dinsdale, the actor. Well, I know he's an actor, he's in it. But I just mean his character's name is John. But the actor's name is Reese Dinsdale and he is a cop who is, or a detective, who is assigned to be undercover with three other detectives. and a, Or two detectives and a sergeant or something like that. And they have to go undercover in a football hooligan, I suppose, crime ring, if you want to call it that. Because the, the, these people are involved with, I suppose, violence and potentially drugs and whatever else. So they have to kind of don the sort of outfits that they'd be wearing, start drinking in their local pubs, get their names known, and eventually worm their way into that group to find out what's going on. But the character of Reese Dinsdale, or the character of John, played by Reese Dinsdale, Christ, I've never said an actor's name so many times like that before. The line between actually becoming a football hooligan and remaining a cop becomes very blurry for him as he gets more and more 
involved in the lifestyle and becomes more friendly with the people who are within the gang and you have Richard Graham who plays Trevor who is his sergeant who's kind of a shit undercover cop but he's very by the books and he knows he's probably better when it comes to the law side of things and what's right and what's wrong but he's not very good at actually getting himself in there with these people and the whole movie is just fucking brilliant from start to finish I was, I was kind of worried about it as well like I said I didn't want it to be like the typical glorification thing this is not glorifying it at all and when I said I wanted to wind down after Contagion with something less grim this was ultra grim <laughs> way more grim than I expected Um, it goes against a lot of the I suppose typical formulaic stuff while also being somewhat formulaic as well I mean there's only so much you can do with certain detective stories there'll always be a point where his loyalty comes into question they want to know if he is a cop and gets a bit of a quiz and all and it's really fun actually watching him on the spot come up with answers for these kind of questions uh, one of the most prominent people in it who's part of the gang is Sean Pertwee who's in fucking everything I mean you obviously would recognise from Dog Soldier is probably one of the biggest ones but he's just in loads of stuff and he's great in this as well I think everyone is really legitimate and good I don't find anyone's performance particularly over the top or bad except the, the actor Lee Ross he plays a guy named Gumbo who has one tooth and He's a bit over the top, but I guess in the context of what the character is like, it makes sense. It just I remember when I saw first saw him in it, I was like, what the fuck is this? But the movie itself, really gritty, really interesting. There's some rough fucking moments in it, and it's always... I always enjoy seeing those kind of movies where a, a detective starts to blur the lines between good and bad, and you're always wondering where he's going to go with it. Is he going to just commit to the loyalty of this gang that he's now a part of, or is he going to I suppose kick back into policeman mode and try to sort these things out so it's always very interesting a good soundtrack as well I can't remember the composer but I remember the score being particularly good really kind of tense but it's the kind of movie that I suppose it definitely doesn't glorify any of this stuff but I can imagine people watching this and going although I'd say to be honest I'd say there was enough research done in this to the stuff that goes on at these fights and these gangs and all this shit that it's probably more accurate rather than uh, influential but I really enjoyed it overall I'm glad I finally got to watch it now the, the reason it came on my radar again is that a sequel came out a couple of years ago and it looked absolutely terrible and I remember talking to someone about it saying this looks fucking garbage and they said it does but the original version is fucking brilliant and nothing like this and highly recommended it to me so I'm glad it has been recommended and I would fully recommend it myself if you can get your hands on it really really interesting and I, can't, I nearly said it was fun. It is not fun. It's very entertaining, but it's so fucking miserably bleak. Um, which, if that's what you're looking for, big thumbs up. That'll that'll do it for you. But and you honestly, you will recognise so many people. Every two minutes, you'll be getting one of those. Oh, what do I know him from? Kind of moments. And this movie is just full of it. So, ID from 1995, definitely recommended. And finally, on to the last two, which I've been saving now. Well, although I mentioned them. About half an hour ago or more no me it was probably more uh the two that i got to see with the magic of vod and amazon prime the first of which is the invisible man so i mentioned earlier on how this movie was secretly there was no real mention of this being slightly censored at all until i happened to read up about it on indb because i just usually there's articles that come out about this like if for instance like i mentioned equalizer kingsman and stuff like that there's always a big thing like oh this movie was cut down for 15s and i 
obviously get outraged over it. But this time there was nothing, so I was a bit disappointed to to find that out. But I think because I got it on American Amazon Prime, I saw it uncut. So if you're going to see it, don't give your money to the English Amazon Prime because it might be censored. If you've already done that, let me know. Um, well, if you also are listening to this. But anyway, this is a very smart decision by Universal because what happened with the mummy that came out there a few years ago or was it two years ago the absolutely comically bad adventure movie with tom cruise where they tried to have this marvel slash dcu style extended universe but with the old universal monsters so like the invisible man and frankenstein and or frankenstein's monster i should say and creature from the black lagoon and all these things and the mummy it's like oh god they just turned it into a typical like what was actually that other one Dracula Untold I think it was was the other kind of movie that was was the first one where they were like we might actually have something here this was a failure but we might have something here let's try the mummy and then the mummy was even bigger failure so I'm glad that they've decided okay we're not going to do this extended universe thing it's a stupid idea and we don't know how to do it right so let's just make individual horror movies rebooting these old classic movies in their own new way and we'll give them to proper indie directors which is the best fucking decision ever so they decided to give the invisible man to none other than lee Winnell, who helped create saw which was obviously the first i was one of the biggest things ever all the other saw movies are actually huge and you know have spiral coming out soon he'll probably have his hand in that hopefully and more recently he directed upgrade a couple of years ago which was fantastic it's a fucking great action sci-fi romp which has amazing special effects and action scenes even though it's a fucking five million dollar budget it goes to show that money isn't all that matters when you've got proper talent behind the camera he's decided to do his own very serious very fucking tense version of the invisible man uh stars elizabeth moss and she is just after escaping a very abusive relationship with her husband who is just psychotically controlling and she gets away from him and after a few weeks of hanging out at a a friend's house who's a cop she gets a letter that uh, explains that he has killed himself and that she is being given his fortune and i think she gets the whole fortune given to her over because he's a rich guy he's like a, a what do you call him like a scientist uh what can i think of the word creator <laughs> creator's probably not the word but he's a i don't know an engineer tech guy I, I don't know why i can't think of this absolute this word it should be on the tip of my tongue but he's one of those people anyway he's rich as fuck and he says you can have my whole fortune but you can't commit any crimes or you have to be in good mental health for the year so she says okay signs over that and over time or at least over the next few weeks she feels like that she's being constantly watched and controlled possibly by him and you're left to wonder is he actually there is he invisible is he a ghost is she just imagining it now the unfortunate thing about this is and it's not a spoiler for me to say so the fucking tv spots for this movie spoil the actual answer for that and it's very fucking annoying i think even though it's a really cool shot it not only 
spoils the answer as to whether or not this is in her head or not but also takes away one of the most tense moments of the movie and I remember because that's the thing I avoided trailers I remember I started this trailer I saw Lee Wanell's name pop up I saw just the look of the movie I thought okay I'm done I mean give me that don't need to see anything else avoided trailers in the cinema anytime a trailer came on I'd look down and look at my phone not pay attention and then on TV the other day or not even the other day like over the last few weeks there'd be a 5 second 10 second teaser for the movie and it would show so much and it wrecks my fucking head I'm, I'm actually going to be vague with it there and not say whether or not he is real uh, but the, the, there's a moment if you've seen the teaser you know the answer to that and it's very fucking annoying I was very fucking impressed by this movie really really just so technically well done excellent tension the first five minutes there's been a lot of talk about the, the opening scene of this movie and people have compared it to Scream which is uh, I wouldn't even say it's a Maybe they're just talking about just the fact that Scream has such an iconic opening. I guess they can compare it that way. But this is obviously very different. But the tension is serious. Like there's every noise you're just on the edge of your seat. It's so brilliantly well done. Um, another thing though that's obviously shown in the trailer. Which is unfortunate. Well parts of it at least. Uh, the end of it. But I was very impressed by this. Elizabeth Moss is fantastic. She's been brilliant in everything I've watched her in. And she gives 110% in this. Um. I mean, he, she's really the the, the centre of this whole movie. You do see a lot of other people who have popped up in other movies like Aldous Hodge and uh, Benedict Hardy who's actually appeared in uh, Upgrade briefly as well as a sort of henchman in that. So there's, there's people you'd recognise all throughout this movie. Mostly Australian actors. One of them was Nicholas Hope who, if you've ever seen Bad Boy Bubby, he is Bubby. And I remember just seeing this guy in the movie going, why do I recognise him? He's really familiar. And then I looked at her and said, oh, it's him. But there's loads of people, and that's because this movie was actually made in Australia. Lee Wynnell seems to do all his stuff in Australia. And it seems that he could do a lot more here. And it allows for a lot of creativity on his part. I just, I, it's a hard one to talk about because like I said, I don't want to reveal too much. But I think it's absolutely fantastic. Easily one of the best films of the year. Not my favourite of the year absolutely tremendous it's exactly the the direction that these universal monster movies really need to go because i mean if i could see not even the same director not even the same style but just a standalone r-rated serious like creature in the black lagoon uh mummy or frankenstein's monster if they could do all these plots really well really seriously with this atmosphere they'll have a savage universe of movies. They could just scrap the last Mummy movie, just do a new one and just say, yeah, this has nothing to do with Mummy or... What was it? Was it even just called Mummy Returns? No. I know there was three Mummy movies with Brendan Gleeson. Or not Brendan Gleeson, Brendan Fraser. I think the, I think the Tom Cruise one was just called The Mummy in the most uncreative fucking title ever. But this is top-notch. Excellent tension. Really creative writing. You've noticed that an upgrade as well. There's really creative scenarios that people get into. It's brilliantly done in this movie. It's tense surprisingly violent at times and just loads of fun it's exciting to watch something that has this level of tension and thankfully it's not one of those things where uh, I mean I've, I've thought about actually talking about this as a separate subject before but just characters not believing the main protagonist for the sake of creating drama where it's just really stupid where there's clearly something wrong and they're just not listening going oh you're just being crazy this at least has a reason for it although there is a moment in this, I won't, I won't, it's not too much of a plot hole exactly, 
But there's a moment in it where she gets in a situation and all I was thinking was, okay, I, they're going to move on to this next part now where they explain why CCTV footage can't explain this away. Yes, they never do that. And I just spent the rest of the movie going, CCTV footage would literally explain what's happening here. Like, like it, it's it's quite annoying. Because they actually have CCTV at one point where she's being, or she thinks she's being chased around the place and you see her running about the, and you just think, okay, that's that's more evidence to make her look crazy, obviously. But in this other scene, in a restaurant, I'm thinking, where's the fucking CCTV footage? That would answer this question. That would would show whether or not she's crazy. And it's just, it's ignored. And that, that just annoyed me. Other than that, it's absolutely fucking tremendous. Highly recommend it. And, I mean, you could wait until it comes probably on Blu-ray and DVD. Or you can wait till it comes to another service at a more reasonable price. But because this is a new in-demand movie, it's going to be between 16 and 19 quid, depending on where you're from. I would, I would recommend watching it. If you've missed it in the cinema, it's definitely worth seeing. But, I mean, you can wait as well. Do watch it either way. Whether you see it now or you see it later. It's highly recommended. Do see it. And finally. Arguably the most controversial film of the whole year or last year. Similar in ways to the... What was it, The Invitation? What's it called? The Interview. The one that Seth Rogen and... Why can't I think of that guy's name? James Franco made. Where it caused a big shit stir with North Korea. And there was worries it could cause a war and all this stuff. When the actual film came out. People were just like. Eh, it's not that offensive. And that was that. This is quite similar. In the response aspect of it. Although this was seemingly a lot more popular. Well at least I think so. Than The Invitation. And this is The Hunt. Which again it's. A done to death idea but done really well here and so craig zobel who did compliance which i thought was a fantastic really dark grim thriller and this is again another movie like invisible man that of this genre the kind of director who will be putting stuff straight to vod from now on or at least for the foreseeable future i think whatever way this turns out after the cinemas have closed because i mean apparently if some bill doesn't go through in America, this could fuck cinemas over for good and bankrupt them. So, fuck knows what's actually going to happen here. But this movie, it takes place in, uh, air quotes, Arkansas. And a group of people wake up in a field only to discover that they are being hunted by, well, liberals. <laughs> and the, the people who wake up are predominantly conservatives. And I think... This is a very good and important movie that has come out now. In the sense that, alright, yeah, it's it's a typically done hunting or humans hunting humans idea. Has been done a few times. But it's good to see a movie that actually takes the piss out of both sides. Because, I mean, when it comes to politics, I've no interest in it. I don't give a bollocks about either side. So, none of these movies actually affect me in any way. But I notice that there is more of a trend leaning to one side that attacks the other. So, to see a movie that goes after both sides was quite satisfying because it shows the hypocrisy to both sides it shows how the stupidity of both sides and it do, it does so in a really neat way that doesn't seem pandering or annoying and i was quite happy about that the actual movie though is very fucking smart i think i think it is obviously stronger in the first hour 30, 90 minutes the last half hour is still really entertaining and fun and action-packed but it's not as well written let's say as the rest but it's all a brilliant idea 
But the thing is, you never know who the fuck's going to be the lead character. This is something I have dreamed of for years. A movie to have the balls to do something like this, where anyone you get introduced to can die. There's usually movies where they give that impression, where you'll have a lot of people die and you're like, oh fuck, it could be, this person's probably the lead, but the other people are going to die off and make you think that they won't be the lead. You have no clue. Anyone is fair game in this movie, and that's what I thought was great about it. Really enjoyable loads of fun it's actually quite funny the action scenes are brilliantly done it's fairly nasty in parts too violence wise i had an absolute blast with it and i'm glad i finally got to see it because i was really hoping to see it in the cinema i didn't get a chance to unfortunately but now i finally got a chance and i'm glad i did i had a total blast with this and i'd fully recommend it and like i said it, it goes after everyone so i think everyone can enjoy it i think both sides will be able to watch this and laugh at themselves and say yeah you know what fair enough on all accounts here this is a good crack and that's the goal at the end of the day for this movie is to poke a bit of fun and kill a lot of people always a thumbs up for me i think i'd say again like if when people saw the interview they were like oh yeah it actually wasn't that bad i'd say if trump saw this now he'd just be like eh, yeah, that's probably a bit of good fun <laughs> at least i hope he would i don't know he'd probably watch it now that he's fucking probably stuck indoors who knows what he's at but yeah that's uh that's everything I got to watch for now. A lot I got to see this week. Hopefully I'll see nearly as much next week. Who knows? Um, but there's a lot There's a lot of subjects I want to cover. And I keep trying to find ways to make them a bit more relevant. But who knows? They'll all, they'll all come around at some stage. I, some of these, like I've got so many ideas that I'm actually saving. Because I know they make for a great podcast with a guest. So expect lots of ideas to be brewing here. And they're all going to come out on a, a new show when... Uh, social distancing prevents uh, lack of guests although like I said I may get some people on Skype us or Google Hangouts or one of them we'll see what the story is but um, yeah <laughs> that's all for this week go watch whatever I've recommended there there's a lot of good stuff particularly those two new movies I think they're top class and a lot of fun I'm going to hopefully see the others by next week I'm going to see what price the likes of Bloodshot and The Way Back I think it's called come out because or our way back it could be uh, because 19 quid is steep so we'll see what the story is but until then enjoy movies enjoy your quarantine enjoy all the recommendations and you're all cunts goodbye